0: This is the Morning Rush.
1: Coming up on today's show, the Caps and the Bruins play another overtime thriller. We have another no-hitter in Major League Baseball. We'll look at uh, the uh, NBA play-in action from last night out west. And here we go again. With baseball's unwritten rules, we seem to have this discussion every single season, and this season, of course, is no different. All that and more coming up in the next two hours of the show. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off yet another essential workday. Several ways to get involved on the show. As always, our Twitter pages at WCMD Morning Rush. My Twitter page at Rush Tony C. And our Facebook page at WCMD Cumberland Radio. All three of those pages, free and open to the public. Like them, follow them. And uh, at any time, just drop us a line. Send us a message. You want to say hey? Say hey. Got a question, comment, opinion, whatever. Those pages are there. Uh, Before we move uh, any further, I have uh, this little announcement to make uh, from our news director, Amanda Mangan. Uh, emergency crews are on the scene of a vehicle accident along Route 220 in Rawlings near Summerfield Lane. Uh, U.S. Route 220 is closed in the area of the accident at this time. So if you're traveling in, to, from, around that uh, area, in that direction, uh, be aware. Again, emergency crews on the scene of a vehicle accident along Route 220 in Rawlings near Summerfield Lane. All right. Uh, Rush Line is open. 301 759 2628. Your chance to dial and dance. Shamo. 301 759 2628. And of course, uh, you can check out our podcast page on the free Podbean app. We upload every show every day minus commercials uh, just for you. You can go back and check out anything you may have missed. Uh, Not just yesterday, but uh, all the way since the show started. Every show's up there. All but one. I can't remember what date it was, so it doesn't really matter. If it's not there, did you really miss it? Anyway, uh, just download that free Podbean app on your phone or tablet. uh, Search uh, The Morning Rush. It's the black, red, and white WCMD logo, and there you go. All right, we have a whole lot to get to, whole lot to cover We want you to get involved on the show. Give us a call, 301-759-2628. In the meantime, uh, let's kick things off with the rock around the region. I want to rock! And we start with the Stanley Cup playoffs. Third first-round game between the Capitals and Bruins, and for the third time this series, we go to overtime. Not just any overtime, double overtime. Right corner, Krejci digging away. And the Caps get
0: to it, but can't control it. Drilled back in by Miller. Back of the net, Samsonov
1: stops it. Getting there is Smith. around. He scores! The call on 98.5, the Sports Hub, Craig Smith, the game-winner, 5-48 into the second overtime. To give the Bruins a 3-2 win and, as a man mentioned, a 2-1 series lead, Alex Ovechkin, a power play goal for the Caps. Game 4 is tomorrow night in Boston. More on this game in just a bit. In boys' high school basketball, the West Virginia AAA All-State team was announced yesterday. Robert C. Byrd's Bryson Lucas was named captain of the first team. Shady Springs' Todd Duncan, captain of the second team. Hampshire senior Drew Keckley, congratulations to him. He was a second-team All-State selection. His teammate Trevor Sardo and Berkeley Springs' Gavin Barkley received honorable mention. In high school baseball, Frankfurt used a nine-run sixth inning to break a 10 10 tie and went on to beat Kaiser 24 uh, 13. That game was at Kaiser. Uh, Logan Kincer had two doubles and drove in three runs for Frankfurt, which took advantage of 13 walks. The top four hitters in Frankfurt's lineup Brady Whitaker, Andy Westfall, Ben Nester, and Peyton Clark combined for 10 hits, 14 RBI, and 11 runs scored. Uh, Noah Broadwater had four hits and three RBI for Kaiser. In Major League Baseball, Juan Soto hit his solo home run that proved to be the eventual game winner. As the Nationals beat the Cubs 4-3 in Chicago, Max Scherzer won his third straight decision, although it wasn't exactly a masterpiece by his standards anyway. He allowed two runs on five hits in just five innings. He struck out eight and walked four. He did, however. Move past Jim Bunning for 19th on the all-time strikeout list. Uh, Mad Max now has 2,860 strikeouts for his career. Elsewhere, Randy Rosarena hit two home runs to lead the Rays past the Orioles' 9-7 in Baltimore. Trey Mancini, in a losing effort, had himself a night for the O's, four hits, including two home runs and he tied a career high with five RBI. O's have lost 9 of 11, and they dropped to 6-17 and 17 at home this season. And in St. Louis, the Cardinals beat the Pirates 8-5 to sweep their mini two-game series. Uh, Jack Flaherty picked up his major league leading eighth win for the Cards. Gregory Polanco, a two-run homer for the Bucks, who are 0-5 against St. Louis. This season. And that is your Rock Around the Region brought to you by the Kappa Group. So, as I mentioned, a lot of things to get to. And again, if you want to get involved, 301 759 2628. Hit me up on Twitter at WCMD Morning Rush or on Facebook at WCMD Cumberland Radio. A couple of news and notes from the Nats and Orioles. The O's announced that Chris Davis remember remember Chris Davis he will miss the rest of the season after having hip surgery on when yesterday on Wednesday. Uh, Davis has not played since the spring training opener and he will be out the next four to five months. Now the team said that Davis should be able to make a full return maybe. <laughs> for spring training 2022, which will finally be the last year of his six-year, $161 million contract. The contract that has been such a burden for the Orioles. And look, it's not like Davis didn't earn it. He just hasn't lived up to it. I mean, you know the, the years that he had hitting bombs left and right. At one point, one of the most feared home run hitters in baseball. He had 53 homers in 2013. And then two years later, had 47 homers. Gets the big contract. And then the bottom just fell out. In 2018, he hit 168 which was the lowest average for anyone qualifying for a batting title. 2019, he went through an 0 for 54 slump. And then last season, he hit 115. No homers, one RBI, and just 55 at-bats because uh, he was limited uh, because of knee injuries. and Plus, it was a shortened season anyway. And now he's on the shelf for the rest of the season. And it's just one of those deals we just It happens in professional sports all the time. We see it all the time. That players break the bank, they get the big payday for what they have already done. And then sometimes they just don't live up to the contract. They just and Davis is a perfect example. Nobody can really blame the Orioles. For giving him that six-year, one hundred and sixty million dollar deal because of what he was doing or what he had already done, couldn't blame him. He just—I mean, he—he's that contract. It was just—it will go down as one of the worst. It'll go down as one of the worst in franchise history, maybe the worst in franchise. I mean, give me a worse one. Off the top of my head, I can't really think of one in Orioles history. A worse contract than Chris Davis's six-year hundred because he hasn't lived up to it. He's been awful, just awful between the injuries and just. I gave you the numbers. He hit one sixty-eight and then one fifteen. I mean, it's just it's. And now he's not even. <laughs> they can't even use him. How old is he anyway? He uh he's got to be a what mid thirties. Chris Davis, I think. Yeah, he's 35. So he'll be, he'll be, you know, pushing 36 when he can finally come back for spring training 2022. He'll play out the last year of that deal and at 36 years old, unless he has some I don't want to call it a miracle, but unless he has some tremendous resurgence that nobody sees coming, unless he comes off his hip surgery. And somehow regains the old Chris Davis form, and starts hitting bombs again. He could be done. Who's going to sign him? You you think the Orioles are going to re-sign him after after what he's done for them, or what he really hasn't done for them in the past handful of years? A lot is going to be on the line. A lot riding for Chris Davis whenever he's finally healthy and can come back. Uh, Nationals notes, two announcements they made yesterday. One, well, actually both involving uh, COVID and pandemic and all that other crap. Uh, they now have a new face covering policy, all right? That starts tomorrow because they return home tomorrow for a nine-game homestand uh, where they'll play the Orioles minus Chris Davis uh, Cincinnati and Milwaukee. And uh, the Nationals uh, sent out a press release yesterday in response to the mayor's announcement on uh, Monday regarding mask requirements in D.C. Starting with tomorrow's homestand or first game of the homestand, fully vaccinated fans, which means, you know, if you're two weeks past your final shot can now attend upcoming home games without wearing an approved face covering. And this applies to all fans, regardless of whether they're seated indoors or outdoors. Now, again, I don't know how you prove it. I don't know how do you ask to see somebody's vaccination card. I don't know. But the press release says ticketed fans who are not fully vaccinated will be required to wear an approved face covering At all times. Except when, of course, eating and drinking, you know, because you can't do that through a mask. So there you go. If you're going to a Nationals game, starting tomorrow, and you are fully vaccinated, you do not have to wear a mask. Whether you're indoors or outdoors. So, I, you know, just to be safe, I would, seriously, I would carry around my vaccination card. If you have the ability, the means, get it. I will copy it and get it laminated to protect it. Seriously. I don't know. I, I doubt. I don't know how you're going to be able to enforce that unless you just ask people. And I, you would hope that non-vaccinated people wouldn't lie about it. But you know there people, they're going to do it. Just so they don't have to wear the mask. So there you go. Fully vaccinated people will not have to wear a mask at national's park. Nat's also announced that they're moving to full capacity on June 10th. And again, this is just is on the heels of uh, the governor's latest announcements and and remarks and re- relaxation of restrictions and all that stuff. And that's what is that? that's uh, about 3-4 weeks away. June tenth, things you are looking up, baby. I know. So, I look. I know people are still a little skittish. I know they're a little bit. You're still worried, and I get it, and I understand it. But this is starting to move. It's actually moving a lot faster than I thought it would. Tell you the truth, it just seems like we're, the floodgates are open, right? It, it it was it started with a little trickle. You know, all right, well, you got these, these arenas and stadiums at, you know, a couple thousand fans, which that started kind of last season, like at last NFL season. Towards the end of last NFL season, some stadiums started letting in like two, I think Heinz Field had maybe four or five thousand fans there, right? And then this year, you know, Major League Baseball, trickle, a small trickle. Now the floodgates are just busted wide open. Now you got a handful of stadiums in Major League Baseball. They're going to go 100% capacity. I do believe PNC Park is going 100% uh, July 1st. There will be 50% capacity through June, and then July 1st, 100% capacity. That's PNC Park. Nationals Park, they're not even waiting that long. They're starting June 10th. Camping Yards, I have not seen anything about the O's. I'll have to look it up or if you know, give me a call 301-759-2628. But it's just it's it's moving faster than I thought it would. I'm happy that it is. I'm I look I am count me in. Count me in. I got my shots baby. I'm ready. I'm ready to rock and roll. I'm ready to move on. I'm ready to get things going. If you're not vaccinated or you still have your reservations, I get it. I totally understand it. Best thing I can tell you is just don't go to the games. If if you're still worried about being around big crowds, if you're still worried about just stay home. Stay home. But more, and we're going to see this, it's going to be only a matter of time before every single stadium is full capacity, every single one. I saw the Penguins, they they upped their capacity. Like their first playoff game in Pittsburgh, they had, I think it was around 2,000 fans. But then the second playoff game, they had 9,000. We're moving forward. We're moving forward. And I got no problem with it whatsoever. None. So there you go. Just a couple news and notes from the O's and uh, the Nats. Uh, one uh, news and note from the Pirates, uh, they stink. So there you go. <laughs> that shouldn't be any new news to anybody. Who has it worse? And I, know, I think I've asked this question before. Who has it worse, Orioles fans or Pirates fans? I, I think they're equally suffering, right? I think they're equally suffering fan bases because right now they're both, Where are the Nats, by the way. Let me check the stands here real quick. Are all three teams in last place? Orioles are in last place in the AL East at 17-25. and 25. The Nats are in last place in the NL East at 17-22. and 22. And the Pirates, oh, okay, Pirates and Orioles have the exact same record. They're both 17-25. and 25. The Nats have just played fewer games, that's all. All three teams in last place, so you know. Uh, we got that going for us, which is nice. Good news for the Nats is the NL East is still just a big ball of stink. So even though the Nats are five games under 500, they're still only four games out of first place because the Mets are sitting on top of the East at 20-17. and They're only three games over 500. The Phillies are a game back, Braves three games back, Marlins three and a half, and the Nationals four. So even, and look, you still have plenty of time to turn it around. It's only May 20th. The season only a month and a half long, or month and a half into it, I should say. So Nationals, although they're in last place, in a much better position than the O's and the Pirates. The O's are eight back in the AL East, and then the Pirates are seven and a half back of the Cardinals. And again, it doesn't help that the Pirates just can't beat the Cardinals. and 5 against the Cards this season, including that little mini two-game sweep which is rare, right? That's very odd. I can't remember the last time we had in, uh, uh, an inter-division series that only went two games. Usually you see that with the interleague series. Quick two games here, quick two games there. It, it's not, it's very, not very often that we see two teams in the same division play only twice. You know what I mean? Usually it's at least a three-game series. But the cards... As the Cardinals will do more often than not, they're kind of flexing their muscle now in the NL Central. They're three and a half games up on the Cubs, four on the Brewers, five on the Reds, and seven and a half uh, on the Bucks. There you go. I would hope, I would, for my you know for my sake, that one of these teams turns it around, because, man, once the NBA playoffs and the Stanley Cup playoffs are over and we got nothing but baseball to talk about and whatever happens in the NFL. It would be nice if one of those baseball teams were good. It would be nice. If I had to put money on it, I would say the Nationals have a better chance to turn it around than the O's and Pirates, obviously. But it would be nice once we get into the dog days of summer and all the focus and all the attention goes on baseball that one of those teams... Would be decent? Is that too much to ask? (laughs) We got three teams we talk about around here. And right now, all three are in last place. Can somebody please step up? Anyway, when we come back, we're talking Caps and Bruins. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, WCMD.
0: This is the Morning Rush.
1: One more thing that I forgot to mention. The Nats announced yesterday that an unidentified player who was vaccinated and asymptomatic tested positive for COVID-19. Manager Davey Martinez made the announcement before the game. That player uh, was deemed uh, to have been in close contact with another Nationals player who was not vaccinated. As a result, the Nationals uh, placed pitchers Eric Fetty and Tanner Rainey on the injured list before last night's game. So you can pretty much figure out that it was one of those two that tested positive and was in close contact with the other one. After last night's game, Max Scherzer said that it was Fetty who was the vaccinated player and who was asymptomatic. So there you go. <laughs> the team wouldn't announce it, so Max Scherzer was like, hey, it was Eric Fetty. Scherzer, who has never been shy of giving his opinion, said that he thinks that vaccinated, asymptomatic players should be allowed to play. I don't necessarily disagree with that. So for now, Fetty and Rainey on the injury list for the Nats because of that situation right there. And I can only assume it's personal choice. Why? Now, if Scherzer is right and Fetty was the vaccinated asymptomatic person and Rainey, you know, was the other guy, I guess his personal choice that why Rainey isn't vaccinated because it's not like the Nationals, it's not like they don't have access to the vaccine, right? But this is going this is a situation that we're going to find now. Not just with the Nationals, but with a lot of teams. You're going to have players or managers or coaches or whatever who choose not to get vaccinated. And now we're going to have problems like this. So we'll see how long Fetty and Rainey stay on the injury list for Washington. Uh, Speaking of Washington, let's move on now to uh, some pucks. Double overtime game last night between the Caps and Bruins, and really by now uh, these two teams should be no strangers to close playoff games. Last night, believe it or not, was the 11th straight one-goal playoff game between these two going all the way back to 1998. All three games of this series have gone to overtime. That's just the eighth time that that has happened in Stanley Cup playoff history. And, oddly enough, the Capitals have been involved in three of those series. And last night, now admittedly, I didn't get to watch the entire game. I turned it over really when I needed to, and that was when overtime started. But it was just... Another great game, right, between these two teams and another reason why the Stanley Cup playoffs are the best thing going in sports. I've been shouting that from the rooftops for a while now, and I'm not going to change my mind. Ilya Samsonov, he returned to the net for Washington after he comes off the COVID-19 list, and he was really good. Well, at least until the very end of the game, but we'll get to that in just a bit. He was the third goaltender the Caps have started this series because Vita Vanacek started game one because Samsonov was on the list. But then Vanacek got hurt. So Craig Anderson had to start game two, and then Samsonov started last night. Just the second time in NHL history, a team has started three different goaltenders in its first three playoff games. Only other team to do it was Winnipeg way back in 1986 when I was still in high school. And again, Samsonov very good. He made 43 saves. He had to endure an onslaught in the first overtime. Bruins had 16 shots on goal in the first overtime. They just had chance after chance after chance. They were clearly the better team in ot but they couldn't just get they couldn't get one past uh, sam sonoff they couldn't do it but as good as sam sonoff was his play that led to the game winner was just as bad although he wasn't the only one to blame and in case you missed it in case you didn't see it the Bruins sent the puck in the zone. They, they sent it around the boards. Miller, just kind of a slap shot from center ice, went around the boards. Sam Stoneoff comes out of his net, and he stops the puck along the boards behind the net. Craig Smith from the Bruins, Justin Schultz from the Caps, both going for the puck. Smith got there first. And he wrapped the puck around and in for the game winner. Why? Because Samsonov was so slow getting back into the net after he stopped the puck, it was just like he was out just going on for a leisurely stroll. Like I'm, gonna, I think I'll just stop the puck back here, and I'm going to take my good old time getting back to the net. I don't know if he, if he thought Schultz was going to get there first. I don't. I don't know what he was thinking. Because before he knew it, before anybody knew it, the puck was in the net. It was almost like when, when Smith went for the wraparound, Sam Stoneoff was surprised. He, just, he had a brain cramp. And immediately, people jumped on the socials and were just hammering Sam Stoneoff for the play. They were blaming him on the broadcast, on NBC Sports. And it even looked like Ovechkin. Might They showed a shot on the television side of Ovechkin coming off the bench after the game was over, and he is screaming at somebody. He is yelling in somebody's general direction. It looked like he may have been cussing out Samsonov in Russian, which wasn't a really good look for the captain in that situation. But my question after the game was immediately this one. What the heck was Schultz doing on that play? And if you saw it, you know what I'm talking about. If you didn't see it, you might want to go online and find it. Because Schultz, after Samsonov stopped the puck behind the net, Schultz, he had a step on Smith heading to the net. But he, he kept looking over his shoulder. Like he was afraid if he played the puck that Smith was going to drill him into the boards, right? And players do that all the time. Because you know more often than not that somebody is bearing down on you, right? That's why it's 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 it, it takes a lot of guts to play the puck along the boards because you know somebody is coming is coming at you. And you play that puck, you're probably gonna get drilled. But Schultz kept on looking over his shoulder and he kept drifting away from the puck. And, and you could see it clear as day on the replay that when he finally looked back down, he had one of those uh, oh crap moments that we see in sports a lot because he looked down and the puck wasn't there. It was off to his left, and that's when Smith kind of swooped in, took the puck, and the game was over. Schultz was just as much to blame for that goal as Samsonov. If he just puts his head down, if he goes after that, because Schultz is faster than Smith. Smith has speed, but Schultz is faster. If he just puts his head down, and he just he he's gonna have to absorb the hit because you know it's coming. Then that game continues. But he kept on looking over the shoulder, looking over the shoulder, and drifting away from the buck. It was a terrible play on his part. And so he is is just as much to blame for that goal as Sam Sonoff was. And just like that, the caps are now down two to one. Game four tomorrow in Boston. And the Caps are really, they're in must-win mode now. Because if they lose tomorrow and they go down 3-1 in the series, it's over. They're done. Boston is too good of a team to blow a 3-1. Now, it's happened, you know, a handful of times in the past. Nothing is impossible. But the Bruins are too good. If if the Caps lose tomorrow and fall down 3-1, the series is over. Put it in the books. It's done. They're done. It's over. Now, Ovechkin, before his temper tantrum in double OT, because he also, uh, they showed a shot of him after the goal was scored, he broke his stick over the boards and then went and yelled at somebody. He finally scored his first goal of the series, a uh, a power play marker in the first period, which, by the way, gives him uh, 800 goals for his career. That's regular season and playoffs combined. Only a handful of players have ever done that in the history of the game. 800 combined goals, but unfortunately for him and the Caps, uh, it came in a losing effort. Got to win tomorrow. Got to win tomorrow, or you can start making you know tea times because the season's over. All right, one last break, and then back to wrap up hour number one. Stick around 102.1 FM and AM 1230.
0: is the morning rush.
1: I don't know how much of that game I'll actually be able to watch because uh, my son has a track meet tonight. And if you've never been to a high school track meet, those things last about eight hours. So there you go. I plan on getting home somewhere around midnight. (laughs) Not quite that long, although uh, it could feel like it. And just over an hour from now, they're going to be teeing off at the PGA Championship. That's right. In case you missed it, a major going on in South Carolina. Patrick Rada, Adam Long, and Cameron Tringale, who I've never heard before in my life. Uh, they tee off at 7 o'clock, and then we're off and running. One of my, one of my favorite names ever, ever, Taylor Gooch. Part of the group teeing off at 7.05. Uh, Rory McIlroy. According to uh, Caesar's sports book by William Hill, he is the favorite to win the PGA Championship at 11 to one. Uh, John Rahm is 14 to one. Uh, Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, 16 to one. Dustin Johnson and Bryson DeChambeau are each at 18 to one. With a quick look at uh, this week's championship, Scott Van Pelt, Andy North. ESPN.
2: Andy, I can't recall seeing a busier Wednesday of practice rounds. That's an ominous sign, isn't it? It really is. The guys are trying to figure out any way to possibly play this golf course. Yeah, it's downwind, it's no bargain, into your, into your face, like it's swing, not as hard as you can, but boy, it is a stern test. Let's make some picks here quickly as we look ahead towards the coverage which begins Thursday morning. More likely to happen this week, a grand slam, which would be Jordan Spieth winning, or Ryerson DeChambeau winning a second. I guess we're saying a precision player versus a bomb. I think grand slam, I think this is a golf course that you're gonna have to putt the ball exceptionally well, and DeChambeau has not been putting well of late. So that's a Spieth victory more likely than a Shambo victory in Andy's estimation. All right, if we were to go most, most recent winners, here is Rory in the PGA in 2012. Last year was Colin Morikawa at Harding Park. So which, which one is more likely? I think Rory, we've seen him in the past when he starts playing well and getting on some kind of a role. He usually does it for quite a while. I think he really does enjoy this golf course.
1: So there you go. PGA Championship uh, teeing off just over an hour from now, and as that first round gets started, uh, next hour, I will, you know, try to update you on scores and whatnot. PGA Tour also announcing, and this kind of is the theme of the day so far, that they are relaxing mask mandates for players starting next week at the Charles Schwab Challenge in Texas. Uh, fully vaccinated golfers will no longer be required to wear a mask indoors. Uh, The PGA Tour sent out a memo to players this week that will allow the fully vaccinated players to avoid wearing the mask. Those not vaccinated still required to wear a mask indoors. Now, previously, the PGA Tour announced that fully vaccinated players no longer have to take the weekly COVID-19 test. That is now off the board. Again, if they're not vaccinated, they still must test prior to the tournament uh, before they're allowed to actually get on the course and start a practice round. So there you go. Another benefit to being vaccinated. Now you have no mask. You have to test if you're on a PGA Tour. And again, and we talked about it with the Nationals. We talked about it with you know so many things. If you're not vaccinated and you got your reasons, then that's cool, man. It's you do what you got to do. I know some people have medical issues that doesn't allow them to get vaccinated. I get it. Some people are still a little wary. I I completely understand it. But there's got to be a point where we as a country say, you know what? We got enough people vaccinated. We are, we're moving forward. And if you're not vaccinated, I don't know what to tell you. That's just the way it's going to be and i don't want to sound like for lack of a better term discriminatory against non-vaccinated people that's not the way i want to come off i don't think anybody wants but again we can't killing can whole things back for so long until it's just like all right we we talked about in sports already how many stadiums how many events or you know how many arenas are going 100% capacity here in the next month or so all the mask mandates being relaxed all of a sudden out of nowhere because of the CDC guidelines that were announced. I think it was late last week. So there you go. I kind of lost my train of thought there for a second. Maybe it's the the vaccine I took. (laughs) I kid. I kid. I'm not not scared at all. All right. Hour number one in the books. We come back. Hour number two. We'll rock around the region. A lot of stuff to get to regionally. And then, stop me if you've heard this one before. You had a no-hitter in Major League Baseball. Stick around. All that and more coming up, hour number two, 102.1 FM, AM 1230.
0: This is the Morning Rush.
1: Hey, stop me if you've heard this one before, all right? Uh, Somebody threw a no-hitter in Major League Baseball. Now, I know you've heard it before because we talked about it yesterday when Detroit's Spencer Turnbull threw a no-hitter on Tuesday. Less than 24 hours later, we had another no-hitter, the sixth no-hitter already this season. But before we get into that, let's take a little trip down memory lane. It'll be a 1-1 pitch. He popped him up. He's going to get it. Brocious down from third. Brocious makes the catch. Ball game over! A perfect game! A perfect game for David Cohn! John Sterling had that call of David Cohn's perfect game back on July 18th, 1999. That was the last time a Yankee threw a no-hitter. Until last night.
0: Here on the bottom of the night, two outs and no one on. Only one man has reached base against Kluber all night. A walk to Culberson back in the third. Now here's the 0-1 to Calhoun. Hit on the ground a second.
2: Uh, Torres throws to first. End time. Ball game over. Corey
1: Kluber has pitched a no-hitter. Corey Kluber came within one man of a perfect game. He pitches a no-hitter, and the Yankees are delirious on the field celebrating with Corey Kluber in the middle. John Sterling, the call once again. Corey Kluber tosses the 12th no-hitter in Yankees history shutting down the Rangers 2 nothing, It was the first no-hitter for a Yankee on the road since Allie Reynolds did it at Cleveland back in 1951. The only base runner Kluber allowed all night was a four-pitch walk to Charlie Culberson back in the third inning. Uh, Kluber threw 71 of his 101 pitches for strikes. So, When did he actually notice that he was throwing a no-hitter?
0: You know, I think I was aware of it. Just, you know, part of, you know, pitching and stuff, you're aware of what's going on. But probably didn't really start thinking about it until maybe after the sixth. Uh, I think at that point we had gotten a couple runs. So, you know, obviously you get the couple-run cushion. It it makes it a little bit easier to to kind of pound the strike zone and and know that you got that that run support, you know, in your back pocket. Uh, But, you know, even, even... Thinking about it or being aware of it, I don't think until that last inning, you know, I ever kind of, I don't want to say, like, let it affect my pitch because I don't think that we really changed the way we went about it. But I don't think I was, you know, all in on it, I guess, until the last inning, maybe.
1: Speaking of that last inning, how exactly did Kluber feel heading into the ninth?
0: I wouldn't say freaking out. I mean, I I definitely think that, uh, you know, I I had to take a breath after the warmups and and calm myself down a little bit. Um, You know, I, I... Probably would compare it to kind of the feeling before uh, maybe first playoff start. Just you got heartbeat faster, some adrenaline going, things like that. Um, so in that sense, maybe it was helpful that you know I, I've I've kind of felt that before and and kind of had that to go back on to sort of you know know what to do in that situation to kind of get myself to relax a little bit.
1: And could you just take us through
2: the emotion of that last ground ball, that last out, embracing Kyle?
0: Not not really sure. Um, you know, I, I do remember after. Uh, after Luke Carter, I remember my first you know, reaction was uh, to find Higgy. Um, but from that point on, I really, couldn't really tell you.
1: And Yankees manager Aaron Boone committed a cardinal sin. He went and talked to Kluber before the eighth inning. You never talk to a pitcher when he's in the middle. No, you just don't. Never happens. We talked about Turnbull yesterday with the Tigers. Like, nobody talked to him for the last four innings of the game. You never say anything to a pitcher. Aaron Boone did. And according to Boone, Kluber was like, get out of my face. I did say to him,
0: I turned to him before the eighth, and I said, you know, if something happens, we get in trouble here. I was telling him, you know, who I wanted up. And he gave me a look like, shut up and walk away. (laughs) you know, I thought he was going to punch me, but, and then going into the ninth, you know, we, we, we had a brief moment like, Hey, if, if we're going to have Chappie up, we need to have him up now. And just so he's ready, just in case we need something. So that was about the only conversation, I guess, funny conversation that we had. (laughs) Um, but he was terrific. Uh, he's been great, you know, coming down and obviously he knows these guys so well, and is such an important part of our pitching program. And, So he was terrific, and I'm sure this is a moment I know that he's going to save her for for a long time, too.
1: So Kluber gets the no-no. This is the first time in Major League history we've had six no-hitters before June. And there's still, what, 10 days left in the month of May? It's the second time we've had four no-hitters in one month. The first time, it was in June of 1990. So that's two no-hitters in less than 24 hours, four no-hitters in a 15-day span, which is the second shortest such span in baseball history. There were four no-nos in 13 days back in 1917. And what's really odd about this is that the six no-hitters have come against just three teams. The Indians, Mariners, and now the Rangers have been no-hit twice this season. Nobody else. And, of course, yesterday, when we were talking about Spencer Turnbull's no-hitter, I blame a lot of it on just terrible hitting. Offense in Major League Baseball is just, it's awful. Maybe I should just blame the Indians, Mariners, and Rangers. Maybe it's just those three. But I think we know better, right? I think we know that Major League Baseball hitters are probably the worst that I've seen maybe in my lifetime. And I I don't say that like, I'm not trying to exaggerate. I don't say that just to be, you know, for, like for shock value. I honestly believe that Major League hitting, as it is right now in 2021, is the worst I've ever seen. And it's just the way the game is, I don't know if you want to call it progressed. When we talk about the uh, Tony La Russa situation later, Somebody used the word evolved. Baseball has evolved. Has it really? Evolved into what? Because I don't recognize the sport anymore. And, you know, Kluber is a decent pitcher. He he won 20 games back whenever he was with Cleveland. The last couple years have been a little bit sketchy. He's He's had some injury problems. It's not like he's the Corey Kluber of old. If Corey Kluber, 20-game winner at the Indians, threw a no-hitter, I'd be like, oh, okay. But now, it's like, eh. Right? I mean, it hasn't. Like, the shine has come off a no-hitter. I saw I saw the old uh, the Oprah meme last night on Twitter. You know, you get a no-hitter, and you get a no-hitter, and you get a no-hitter. We've had six. It's May 20th. We've had six no-hitters. And they're coming from a bunch of guys named Frank. right? Spencer Turnbull threw one. He's a guy who who lost 17 games two years ago. A recycled Corey Kluber, Joe Musgrove. We went over this yesterday. It's not like we got Max Scherzer out there throwing no-no's. We got guys who were just, some of them coming off the scrap heap and shutting teams down. In particular, the Indians, Mariners, and Rangers. I'm not saying it's easy. Look, it's easier than it used to be, obviously. It's not easy to throw no-hitter. It's still an accomplishment, for sure. It's still something these pitchers are going to remember. They're in the record books. And Actually, we were sitting at home last night. It was just me, Mrs. C, and little C. And we the, the, the notification just came across that Kluber threw a no hitter, and we we're like, "My goodness! Like another one? Are, are you serious?" And Mrs. C was like, "Why? Why is it?" You know, she said, "Could they possibly be doing something to the balls?" I'm like, "I I don't see what they could do to the baseball." Because, you know, for years, baseball was accused of doctoring the balls for you know offense, right? The, the balls were juice, right? Home run balls. And she was like, could they possibly be doing something to the balls to help pitchers? I'm like, I don't see. Maybe they could raise the seams a bit. I don't know how they could doctor a baseball to benefit the pitcher. I just think offenses are just that bad. Major league hitting is just that bad. That's why you have all these no-hitters early on. I I, I, I want to look it up. I should look it up at some point. Like where hitters are now as opposed to previous years. Like batting average overall. American League, National League, team average. It, it can't be great. And it's hard to watch. Baseball's hard. Baseball is hard enough to watch as it is. It's a, baseball's a long game. If you don't have the stomach for it to sit through nine innings, then you're just not going to. But whenever you watch a game and you basically have three outcomes at the plate, home run, strikeout, walk, it's hard to watch. That's why I always celebrate guys like Adam Frazier for the Pirates. He had two more hits last night. He has 54 on the season. He leads the National League with 54. I celebrate guys like that because he's he's a hitter. He's a hitter. He's a, he's a professional hitter. Single, double, triple, occasional home run. Guys like him are a dying breed. Like I'll look it up. I'll look it up right now. Let me check the batting race right now. I know it's early in the season, so some of these averages are going to be a little inflated. Right now, the highest average in baseball is 358. It's uh, Mercedes from the White Sox, who's been in the news recently, if you haven't been paying attention with the whole Tony La Russa thing. Xander Bogarts is at 346. Alvarez from Houston is at 343. Winker, 343. So we've got a couple of Reds in there. Uh, Castellanos is there at 338. Like, when's the last time anybody, when's the last time anybody in Major League Baseball made a push for 400? That used to be a thing for all you youngsters out there. There were players, there were actual baseball players who would threaten to hit 400. Tony Gwynn comes to mind. When's the last time we had a chase for 400? Seriously, when? Because guys don't hit anymore; they don't know how to hit. They're not taught to hit. What was the old uh, What was the old ad back in the day? Chicks dig the long ball. That's all they do anymore. You see all You see all of these coaching videos. You see all of these coaching experts, all these hitting experts. You see the videos all over the place. It's all about torque and bat speed and launch angle, and it's they don't. Who is teaching how to hit? That's why we have six no-hitters on May 20th. And it makes for a very difficult watch. It makes for a very difficult... I mean, who wants to sit through that? Yeah, home runs are exciting for sure. But who wants to sit through nine innings of, well, if it's not a home run, it's going to be a walk or it's going to be, you know, strikeout. Pitchers haven't gotten better. Pitchers haven't gotten... Pitchers have probably gotten worse. There are no... There are very few dominant pitchers anymore. Pitchers who can go deep into games. Seven, eight, nine innings. Like they used to. Now it's, hey, get me through six. And then we'll bring out the seventh inning guy. Bring out the eighth inning guy. We'll bring out the ninth inning guy. I'm not exactly sure how much baseball has evolved and baseball tries desperately with these little tweaks, these little changes, you know, they want to speed up the game. They want to uh, you know, put guys on second base in extra innings. They want to, you know, toy with the universal DA. They want to do all these little how about just creating better baseball players? How about we try that? How about how, how you want to make the game more exciting? You want to make the game more marketable? How about just, you know, producing better ballplayers? And that's not all Major League Baseball's fault. Don't get me wrong. But how about you just put a better product on the field? How about you, and I'm, I'm going to go there, and I, I, and I always do, how about you take all these analytics and burn them to the ground? How about you take all these numbers and all these stats and all this other crap and chuck them and get back to just playing baseball? Cuz I I honestly believe if you did if you did that, baseball would be better. If you got rid of all the analytics, all these number crunchers, if you got rid of all that crap that goes away from conventional baseball wisdom, I think you'd have a better product. But players are taught to pitch these days based on analytics. Hitters are taught to hit based on analytics. Managers are being taught to manage based on analytics. And therefore, it is no coincidence that the game has gotten worse. That the more analytics are involved, the game has gotten worse. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. Call me right now, 301-759-2628. One person call me right now and tell me that Major League Baseball is better today than it was 10, 15 years ago. Because it's not. If you could tell me that, I don't know what game you've been watching. In no way, shape, or form is baseball better now than it was a decade ago. Pitchers are worse. Hitters are worse. The games are worse. Six no-hitters, something that used to be celebrated, something that used to be rare, right? No-hitters were rare. It's not something that happened every other day. It's not something that happened four times in 15 days. You know, we talked about it already. The the, the shortest span ever was four no-hitters in 13 days. That happened back in 1917. That's how rare this stuff is. No hitters may be special to the pitcher. They may be special, you know, for the team. But when you have sick, I mean, it's just, it's they're not alright, well, so what? It's like, oh, all right, it's like, oh, oh yeah, another no-hitter. Okay. It's because the game is worse. Now it's not not it's not all analytics fault. I mean, there is room for analytics. There is room For these numbers and these stats, for sure. But whenever people make them the end all be all, this is what you get crappy pitchers striking out crappy hitters, and games being coached by crappy managers. And you get a crappy product. All right, time for a break news, weather, and then more Major League Baseball. An old school manager somehow in trouble again. Stick around. WCMD
0: This is the Morning Rush
1: And we just got done talking about Corey Kluber uh, pitching the 6th no-hitter of the season already First time in history There have been 6 no-nos before the month of June And of course I attribute that to baseball just not being very good And it seems like every year we have a conversation about the unwritten rules of baseball, right? Every single season something happens where this comes up again. You have old school guys like me arguing with new school guys who wouldn't know good baseball if it smacked them in the face. So we have a situation on Monday where White Sox manager Tony La Russa, old school, very, very old school, called out one of his own players, okay? He called out a rookie named Yameen Mercedes. He called Mercedes clueless because he hit a home run off of Twins infielder Williams Astudio, excuse me if I mispronounced that. It was a ninth inning. It was a blowout game. Chicago was up 15 to 4. All right. The infielder, Astudio, is pitching. It's a 3 0 count. He throws a 47 mile per hour pitch, and Mercedes takes it deep. And LaRusa called him, again, his word, not mine, clueless. And uh, during a a Zoom press conference yesterday, La Russa doubled down, and he called it a teachable moment, especially since Mercedes missed a take sign. And La Russa said, hey, young player made a mistake. He missed a take sign, shouldn't have swung away, and it needed to be acknowledged. Now, some White Sox players, did not agree with what LaRussa said, including a veteran pitcher, Lance Lynn. Lynn said, the way I see it, for position players on the mound, there are no rules. Let's get the damn game over with. If you have a problem with whatever happens, then put a pitcher out there. Can't get mad when there's a position player on the field and a guy takes a swing, end quote. That is Lance Lynn. And then a fellow White Sox pitcher, uh, Lucas Giolito, following yesterday's win, said, no negativity. We all support Yameen. We all love home runs here. That's it. We're going to move on. And other players around Major League Baseball chimed in, all in support of Mercedes, all in support of the player. Trevor Bauer, of course, he opened his big mouth. And, of course, he's never he's never quiet about anything. Uh, Alex Wood said, you know, if there's a position player pitching in a big league game, all rules are out of the window. He says, you know how hard it is to launch a 49, actually it was 47, mile per hour at pitch, 400 feet. And he says, give the people what they want. Excuse me there, Alex. I don't want. To see somebody homer off an infielder. It's not why I tune into baseball. I don't think that's what people want. People don't want to tune in to a 15 to 4 game and see somebody take an infielder deep. That's not what I'm looking for. LaRussa said it's more about swing, it's not so much homering off a position player. It's homering, taking a swing on a 3-0 count when you're up 15-4. to And that part I understand. He says, and this is the thing, and this is what kills me, and this is whenever the, the unwritten rules thing comes in. This is where it's old school versus new school. As soon as La Russa brings up things like sportsmanship and respect for the game, people lose their minds. Because for some reason... Those things don't matter anymore. For some reason, in today's screwed-up society, those things simply don't matter. You're up fifteen to four. Regardless of who's on the mound, you don't swing three and zero. That's just you. Just don't do that. I don't care if it's uh, a Cy Young Award winner, if it's the closer, if it's the shortstop. I don't care if their manager comes out and throws a pitch. That's one of those unwritten rules that the new breed of fans just rails against, which I happen to think makes some sense. You're up by 11 runs in the ninth inning. You don't need to be swinging at a 3-0 pitch. And part of Larusa coming out And publicly, and they say, you know, he threw Mercedes under the bus, whatever you want to call it. Part of it is, of course, defending his position. Part of it is, hey, it's a teachable moment. Mercedes needs to learn from this. And part of it is letting the twins know that he, as the manager of the White Sox, was not okay with this. That he did not give Mercedes the green light at 3-0 that he did not approve of what happened. Now, the next game, they actually threw at Mercedes. They threw behind him. And the only problem I have with Larusa after that is La Russa actually didn't stick up for Mercedes then. He said, ah, the pitch kind of got away. It was a slider. He, he really, that I had a problem with. Because you, you got to back up your players when something like that happens. But when La Russa comes out and says, hey, respect the game sportsmanship, he's telling the Twins, that wasn't my call. right? We didn't want to run up the score on you. I've done that myself as a basketball coach. If one of my teams, if we were up big and I had a player who, for whatever reason, launched a three-pointer late in the game and we're up big, we don't want that. We don't want to be shooting threes when we're up by 25 with a minute left. That is poor sportsmanship. That is a disrespect to the other team. So I've done that before. I have yelled out to the player, hey, no more threes. And I made sure I yelled it loud enough so the opposing coach would hear me. So he knows that we're not trying to run it up. That that, that, that was a player that I had who had a bonehead moment, who should have known better, to launch a three up by 25. And I said it loud enough so everybody could hear it. was doing the same thing. He's letting everybody know that we do not swing 3-0 up by 11. And I, I don't see how anybody has a problem with that. Why does anybody have an issue with that? Oh, well, it's old school. It's the unwritten rules. right? And you, have, you have this new breed of fan, the young fans, the other, and the young players come out. And they rail against the unwritten rules. They rail against the old school mentality. And I even say it, if if you tune in at 6 o'clock and we play the show open, I even say that in the show open, that so many people are against the unwritten rules of baseball and they completely ignore the fact that baseball was 100 times better when all of the unwritten rules were enforced. When the unwritten rules were enforced 20, 30, 40 years ago, that brand of baseball blows today's brand of baseball out of the water. And it's not even close. (laughs) It's not even close. But for whatever reason, this younger generation, when guys like LaRusso, look, people, when he was hired by the White Sox, after he was out of the game for like 10 years, people didn't understand it. Like, oh, what are they doing hiring this fossil? What are they doing hiring this dinosaur? You know, he's out of touch. He's he's out of touch. When he comes out and talks about sportsmanship and respect, that you shouldn't swing 3-0 up by 11, oh, he's out of touch with the young players. Well, maybe the young players don't know Jack. Maybe they could learn a couple things from a guy like Larusa. But then all of a sudden it turns into this major Major issue, argument, discussion about the unwritten rules of baseball. Because, God forbid, somebody like LaRusa says we got to have respect for the game. We got to show sportsmanship for the game. You don't swing 3 0 up by 11 in the ninth inning. But yet, you still have people like Buster Olney, who has covered the game for years. Still saying that LaRusso is wrong.
2: Look, this is the classic old school versus new school conversation. We're always having it around baseball, and there's nobody who comes from an old school background more than our old friend Aaron Boone, the manager of the Yankees, who a couple of years ago said to me, you know, I, I consider myself to be old school, but when you really think about it, a lot of it's really stupid. <laughs> you think about what the old school hill that they're standing on, Tony is standing on, it's okay to quit in the middle of a baseball game and put a position player on the mound, lobbing 47 mile per hour, fastballs, uh, that's okay and according to the old school, if the other team swings and counts in which you don't want it's also okay to throw 90 plus mile an hour fastballs at at opposing hitters. That's really stupid and the current generation of players has figured that out and you're hearing that more and more when Tony took over as manager of the White Sox at the outset of spring training after being away from that job for about a decade he said, you know what, I'm going to go talk to my players, I'm going to learn from them, I think that's what he needs to do now. Go talk to Tim Anderson, your shortstop, who's one of the smartest people in the game, reflects the current thinking about how the sport is evolving. I think that's going to be really important for Tony as he moves forward.
1: Yeah, sorry Buster, the game isn't evolving at all. The game's going backwards. The game's going backwards. And I said this the last segment, it's not a good product anymore. Letting guys swing away 3-0. First of all, it wasn't the middle of the game, it was the ninth inning, so get that fact straight. How does that? How does that help baseball evolve? I mean, is that I'm serious? Is that what people want? Does that make the game more exciting? Does that make more people? If if it is, then all right, you can count me out, and I'll go watch something else. I mean, if you can sit there and seriously tell me that baseball is better with the unwritten rules out of the game, and you want to tell me the game has passed me by, well, all right, well then I'll go watch something else because I'm not going to waste my time watching this crap. On a daily basis. I said in the show open. And I'll say it again. Baseball was better. Under the unwritten rules. It's certainly not better now. Despite all of this. Despite all this. You know. Back and forth whatever. Jeff Passan says that Larusa Still hasn't lost the clubhouse.
2: Considering what has happened over the last 48 hours, the number of self-inflicted wounds that Tony La Russa, uh, has brought upon himself, uh, sources inside the clubhouse tell me that they don't really get the sense that he's losing it and that there was much more consternation earlier in the season about his tactical errors than there are about his opinions about baseball and the way that it should be played. Tim Anderson, of course, went on Instagram on your mean Mercedes's page and said, we got your back, your mean appreciated that in the end though, I think this is the sort of culture war thing that's gonna blow over. And it's a lot easier to blow over with the White Sox playing as well as they are.
1: And that's that's the bottom line right there, is it not? They're 26 and 16, they're in first place in the AL Central. All this and even Larusa said it himself. He said, I can't believe we're still talking about it three days after the fact. He says, I can't he said it's much do about nothing. Now it gives us something to talk about for sure. But it really, I mean, again, this happens, something happens every season that gets the younger generation fired up. LaRussa doesn't have a choice but to say something after that. He doesn't. And I guess it doesn't change until all of the, you know, old school guys are just gone. After the old generation dies out, and the new generation just takes over to where you have uh, two teams with two managers and a group of players who think it's perfectly okay to do what Mercedes did. And then there's nothing to talk about. There's nothing to argue about. But I'm telling you right now, when that day comes, baseball will be at its lowest point, and it's been in, I don't know, forever since the strike. since Since the strike almost destroyed baseball. just doesn't make for a good product. It just doesn't. And again, you want to call me a dinosaur and a fossil, you want to call – that's fine. But I'm on La side 100%. I don't like the fact that he didn't defend Mercedes after the Twins threw at him. That was Bush League. But calling a player out for swinging it 3-0, up by 11 in the ninth, 100% behind that. 100% behind that. Another fossil like myself, Mike Wilbon, totally disagrees.
2: I mean, you put a position player out there, you get what you get. I don't want to hear about spin rate or exit velocity. You got a position (laughs) player on the mound. It's Little League. This is what you get. So what's he supposed to do? Just stand there and take it in the strike zone and do nothing? How many of these unwritten rules are worth keeping now? Three or four out of 800. I'm tired of them. I'm tired of hearing about them. You want to sound like your old man, get off my lawn. Man, I'm usually with that. I'm not with it here.
1: That's exactly what he's supposed to do. You stand there and you take the pitch. <laughs> I mean, how hard, how hard is that to understand? Now, if he has a green light three and one, I, I don't know what, he, what you do there. But when it's 3 0 and you're given the take sign, take it. And LaRusa made the comment whenever he was asked about the Lance Lynn comments. He was like, hey, he has a locker, I have an office. Which I took for him to say, hey, he plays, I manage. I sit in the office. If I give you a take sign, you take the pitch. And if you don't, there's consequences. Again, how hard is that to understand? Apparently, for a lot of people, it's very difficult. Uh, Before we get out of here, a reminder tonight, uh, something we'll talk about tomorrow, the Wizards and the Pacers. The do-or-die game for the final playoff spot in the Eastern Conference. The Wizards, of course, losing to the Celtics in the 7-8 game. Uh, Indiana absolutely crushing the Hornets in the 9-10 game. So here we have a matchup tonight. The winner... Locks down the eight seed and will take on the Sixers in the first round of the playoffs. Loser, season's over, done. As we mentioned yesterday, the Wizards uh, they beat Indiana three out of three games here, three and zero. All of them relatively close, especially the last time they played, which was back on May eighth. Uh, the Wizards won one thirty three, one thirty two in overtime. Pacers a little banged up. The Wizards, they still have Bradley Bill nursing that left hamstring. I'm not quite sure how you know where he'll be 70%, 80% tonight. Big issue for Indiana, which was the issue in all three games this year. When you look at the final scores, the Wizards scored 132 in the first game, 154 in the second game, and then 133 in the third game. That's an average of almost 140 points a game that the Pacers gave up to the Wizards this season. That happens again tonight. The Wizards are moving on. Right now, Washington is a three-point favorite in that game. And I, I look, I thought the Wizards were going to beat Boston. I took them to win that game, plus the two points. I what I didn't know was that Jason Tatum was going to drop 50 on them. But I like the Wizards at home. Uh, They did have a winning. Now they had a winning record at home this year, nineteen and seventeen. Problem is the Pacers were twenty one and fifteen on the road this year. So Indiana not afraid to play away from home. So we'll see what happens. I'm rooting for the Wizards. I'm not a big NBA guy. I've I've said that a million times over. But I'm rooting for the Wizards because of the closest thing we have to a regional team. Or a home team around here. Plus, it'll give me something to talk about at least over the next week and a half until they get eliminated by the Sixers. So we'll see what happens. We'll talk about that game tomorrow. Uh, we'll also talk about the Pens and Islanders game three tonight on the island. That series tied to Game of Peace. Tomorrow, my main man Joe Shooter will have another Rush Friday feature for us. Tomorrow's feature is. Will be with former Baltimore Oriole Kiko Garcia. Will be the subject of tomorrow's Rush Friday feature. You definitely don't want to miss that. And don't forget later on this afternoon, the Nationals wrap up their series with the Cubs in Chicago. That is a a mid afternoon start. I think two twenty first pitch pregame right here on this very station uh, at one fifty. And we'll also go over the first round of the PGA Championship that teed off a little less than an hour ago. And I don't even know if they're trying to find the scores right now before we get out of here because we're coming up against it, as they say in the business. And I can't find it. You know what? Forget it. It's too late. There's the music. Can I get one in real quick? Can we find it before? Nope. Don't even have it on the leaderboard yet. So there you go. <laughs> Anyway, we'll talk about the first round tomorrow. That's it. Show's over. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the rest of your day. See you back here tomorrow, 6 a.m. sharp. This is the Morning Rush. I am Tony C. And I am done. Ah, see ya.